Hey everybody and welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Here are your hosts, Josiah and Micah Keneally. What's up guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. Hey guys, welcome to the Young Adults Today podcast. We're your hosts. Mm-hmm. Joining as a third time returning guest is our friend Addison Bevere. What's up, man? What's up? It's so good to be here as the third third time. Y- y'all told me before the show that this is a special, what is it, like special classification? Do I get some kind of award? I don't You're know. I mean, I'm in new territory, right? Now. You're guest hosting now. Yeah, there you go. I'm That's guest a good saying it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's an honor to be on again. Thank you for having me on. But we are thrilled that you're here. And we just know that God has just been doing some amazing things in your life and in your family. And for those of you tuning in who maybe don't know who Addison Bevere is, he is the COO of the Messenger International, founded by John and Lisa Bevere, a co-founder of Sons and Daughters, and one of the best-selling authors right here. We have his new book, Imprint, Words with God. Let's go. Come on. How much better can that get? And Addison, I think we want to kick off right out of the gate. Talk to the person who fears that following Jesus is going to be boring. I know that I've uh, had that fear (laughs) before. I don't know if you Mm. could speak to that on a personal level of just, okay, should I go all in? Like, am I going to miss out on any fun by serving a God that I can't see? Mm -hmm. And um, maybe, maybe they fear that religion would be rules only. And uh, to the person who's listening, viewing, and just is is a young adult, maybe even a leader, and they're like, is following Jesus going to be boring? Can you just help mm-hmm. us break out of boredom and speak to that? This <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question. I think that's a, that's a valid question. I think that's something we should be asking ourselves. I mean, when we look at what the kingdom of God, the expression of the kingdom of God is supposed to be. It's right, righteousness, peace, and joy. And I, I think we underscore joy and what it is to follow Jesus and the life of the kingdom. So this is this is what I would share. When we look at where Christianity has gotten it wrong, oftentimes we have this bend toward certainty and control that is a control that is beyond our grasp. We're unwilling to be grasped by God. So we want to grasp him. We want to be the ones who are the boss. We want to be the captains. And and the truth is, when we look at what faith invites us into, it's a journey of certainty. There are truths, there are tenets, there are absolutes, there are universals Mm -hmm. that, that guide this world, that define human flourishing, that define connection. But then there's also mystery. And the faith invites us to hold in both hands certainty and mystery, both of them. And actually, when we look at scripture, the fear of God is actually the refusal to let go of certainty or mystery. You have some camps, they're all about mystery, and mystery just becomes a reflection of the smallness of what they can create. And then you have other camps, they're all about certainty, but their certainty is just the reflection of the smallness that they can create. So both camps, both extreme camps are actually suffering from the same root issue which is a low view of God. And so when we look at what it is to follow Jesus, we realize that we're being invited into the ultimate adventure. And when you look at the person of Jesus, Jesus is what's most true about God and what is most possible about us converging in a person, an example, and communicated to us by the power of his spirit and the collective expression of his church, of his body. 
And man, there's nothing more wild, more wonderful, more head scratching um, than that reality. So that's what I would say. I love that. I love that you use the word adventure because I think every single one of us craves adventure, whether we're introvert or extrovert. We want to increase our ability to not only fear the Lord, but have faith in the Lord. And I think when it comes down to it, like our prayer life, like I think that is essential to get glimpses of who God is and for the downloads of the Holy Spirit to prompt our hearts to want more of him and to step into more crazy, audacious dreams and not be fearful of that. And Mm -hmm. I would just even think about it. I just, I love prayer and I don't want to be like a person who prays just words out. But I think sometimes when we're we're scared to speak something out or take something to the Lord because one, maybe we don't want to be rebuked or we don't want to be told no, or we're afraid of the approach that he's going to ask us to take to get there. So how do we have words with God with God when it seems like God doesn't maybe always have words with us? Cause we can have many approaches, whether it's in prayer or our belief in God when it comes to that. And that can come out through our words, but what happens when we don't know if God like, wants to have those words with us, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, in the first section of the book, the book's broken into three sections. The first section is called the Canyon. And I, and I go after this idea of prayer feeling like we're yelling into a Canyon. Like maybe there's another voice, but how do we know that that voice isn't just an echo of our own voice? And I've heard that from a lot of people who are like, I cried out to God, I prayed, I've sought answers, I've sought clarity, I want to be faithful with my purpose, I need these things, I'm reaching, I'm asking for these things, and it just seems like God isn't responding. And there's a a few things, like fundamental shifts I think we have to make when it comes to how we engage God through prayer that I think will help reframe the conversation. Because I think in some ways we're we're asking the right questions, but we're asking them in the wrong way. And we're asking them within the wrong rubric because we're asking them within a rubric that really misses the idea of what it is to engage with God and to be intimate with God and our lives to be an expression of that intimacy, that ongoing intimacy. And for many of us, we view prayer transactionally. It's like, I did X, God did Y, prayer works. I did X. God didn't do why prayer doesn't work. And that largely is the extent of how we judge prayer. And one thing that I would say right out, out the gate is I would say prayer is not a transaction to solve or a formula to solve. It's an experience to share. That's good. So right, right there, if you go into marriage, okay, if you go into any relationship, meaningful relationship as a transaction to solve, good luck. Good luck. If you reduce your marriage or you reduce raising kids, you reduce friend dynamics to a formula to solve. Good luck. Now, are there universal principles and is there a framework that you can work within? 100%. But this is too meaningful for it to be reduced to the inputs and outputs of a formula. So when, when we engage with God through prayer, we have to realize that God is inviting us into a fresh form of connection, knowing and understanding. And I went I'll just share a bit of my own testimony here. I went through a season of my life, uh, five years, where I struggled with intense insomnia. And I felt like God had completely abandoned me. I felt like I was doing the right things. I was in, quote unquote, full-time ministry. Um, I was being faithful to my wife. I was praying every day. I was reading the word. I mean, I was checking the boxes, if you will. But my life just felt like it was falling apart. 
And I was crying out to God. I was like, God, give me peace. Give me freedom. Give, like, deliver me from this insomnia. Like, I was living in a perpetual fog. I felt no connection to God. The tangible evidence of God's presence, it just seemed to be completely removed from my life. And I'm like, what is going on? Where have you gone, God? And I realized in this season, y'all, something so profound. And I think a lot of people who are navigating the the richness of prayer may find themselves in this season, this canyon season. And it's this idea that God won't deliver us from a thing if he knows that this that the thing will ultimately deliver us to him. And I wanted God to give me the answers, the freedom, the peace on my terms, um, based on my transactional understanding of good and right and purpose. And the reality is God was inviting me to let go of some ideas of myself, and what that meant as far as my purpose and who I was as a son and who I was as a man, God was inviting me to let go of those. And this journey of insomnia actually ended up leading me into a deeper and more rich understanding of prayer. And it moved prayer out of that transactional place in my life into something that became a complete and robust expression of who I am as a person, as far as my relationship with God, my understanding of myself and how that unfolds and how I relate to others, and how I serve them in purpose and community, et cetera. So I didn't realize in that season that the silence that I was experiencing in prayer, it wasn't a rejection. It was actually an invitation to deeper connection. I think so many of us, like when we engage with God and we feel silence, we need to realize two things. One, it's actually an invitation to know him in a completely different way. That transcends your idea of what it is to know and be known, number one. Number two, you have to realize you might not be hearing the voice of God because you're looking for the voice of God and the tone and the tenor of the accuser. And God brings us into silence so we can unlearn the voice of the accuser and we can learn how God speaks to us and how God engages with us. If you think of 1 Kings 19, the moment when Elijah withdraws and he's had this life-defining moment and he's discouraged, Jezebel has threatened his life. And he, he retreats to the mountain of God. And God doesn't show up in the whirlwind and the fire and the earthquake. God shows up in how it reads in Hebrew, in the thin silence. God engages with him in the thin silence. He had to let go of certain ideas of how God would speak to him. And God spoke to him in a way that was so intimate and so perfect for that moment that it moved through silence. And in silence, there are words that take on form. There are some words that only take on form in silence. So no wonder the enemy of our soul is bent on distracting us and disengaging us um, from what's actually happening in our lives and within ourselves, our inter interior selves, because he's terrified of us hearing God and understanding what that means for us with how we engage with this world. Right. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> I love how you said that we needed to unlearn the voice of the accuser so that we can... Mm -hmm learn the voice of God that does mm -hmm. speak in the silence. There's a documentary Micah, Micah and I were watching pretty recently. I think it was National Geographic. And um, what's his name? Greatest Showman. Um, Zach, 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 oh, Zach, Zach, okay, yeah. Zach, Zach. So Zach goes on this journey and I think it was him. He goes into this cave it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, a hundred some feet or maybe thousands couple, of feet down or maybe, how many. I, I don't know exactly the depth, but it's one of the deepest caves that's accessible. And supposedly scientists have found like one of the quietest places on earth. And it's, it's like, people can't stand it because it's like 
truly deafening. And I think that silence can be deafening, but you've got to dig deep. You've got Mm -hmm. to find that quiet place for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, removing some of the distractions, unlearning the voice of the accuser. That's so, so powerful. But I think that silence really can be deafening. Like Mm -hmm. I know, I don't know if you guys have ever done a silent retreat, but sometimes it it feels like an hour is like, oh my gosh, I'm away from my phone. I have nothing to do. (laughs) And that's kind of the whole point, but there's almost like a detox period. It's like your body's coming off of sugar. Your, your brain is coming off of such stimulation to, Mm -hmm. and it takes a little bit of an adjustment. So the person that is uncovering some of the depths of silence or solitude, um, it is uncomfortable a little bit at first. And it's kind of like this as a dad, Right now, our almost two-year-old and our three-year-old, they they get worked up about little things, like if they lose their cup or their blanket. And I try to assure them, like, it's going to be just fine. Do you trust me? <laughs> and I yeah. wonder, and, and my view of God has been so impacted by this because I'm no different. I'm a little mm-hmm. kid in an adult body, just a grown-up little kid. And I'm like hyperventilating over, oh my gosh, are we going to have <laughs> enough money? Are we going to, are we going to make it? Like, is God going to come through? And I think that Psalms and Proverbs, this invitation to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, Mm -hmm. all of our strength, all of our soul, all of our spirit. But I mean, Addison, thanks for going there too, with your personal journey Mm -hmm. through insomnia. I'm curious about what you've uncovered about trusting in God through that process or you know, in, in the silence, in the solitude, um, in the uncomfort of, of getting uncomfortable, mm-hmm. talk about yeah. that, what you've uncovered about trusting God. Yeah. Well, it was in that season. I learned how to pray the Psalms. I, the Psalms were nice things that I read <laughs> before that, but, but the words of the psalmist, they, they took on new form in that season. And you look at something like Psalm 142, where David says, I pour out my complaints before you got. And I always had this idea that I wasn't allowed to complain to God. And so if I'm going to God in prayer, I better be saying the right things. It better be packaged the right way. I, I better address God the right way. And and you read, you read things in the Psalms where you scratch your head and you're like, wait a second, they're complaining to God. And God responds to that. And it's almost like God likes it, encourages it, and meets them there. And I realized in this season, I realized, like, look, God doesn't like when we complain about him, but God loves when we complain to him. Because when we complain to him, that essentially puts God, like, that puts God front and center. And it requires us to to face off with our small ideas, with our cheap um, beliefs about God. And maybe words that other people have shared about God that we haven't paid the price of making our own. And in those moments, they become our own. It's like, wow, okay, I have heard. Now I have seen. And it's one of those things like, can we really know that God is faithful until life has given us reason to doubt his faithfulness? Like, honestly, can we really know that he is faithful, that he is good? So we're like, God, are you faithful? Are you good? Because life is telling me a different story. And prayer is the place where that tension turns into hope, turns into faith, turns into a greater expression and a deeper understanding of love. Like when we look at hope, hope comes with tension. Faith comes with tension. Love comes with tension. 
You don't get to have any of the great three, the eternal three, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. You don't get to have those unless you embrace the tension. And it's in prayer where that tension starts to make sense to a degree, starts to make sense. And then we're reformed in that tension. We're reformed in faith, hope, and love as we're honest with God about our pain, our doubt, our fear, our lack, all of these things. It's like, hey, come to me. I want to engage with you on these things because this is what really matters. Yeah, I think that's so good. And maybe for the person who is frustrated in prayer, who doesn't feel close to God, who doesn't feel like he hears their prayers, for the people who are maybe in ministry listening, like, I feel like I'm in a hopeless situation, whether it's an aspect of the church or their ministry or the people that they're leading. If prayer is a pathway to hope, faith, peace, and wholeness, then why is it so difficult to pray? What, what have you yeah. found? Like, why is it so difficult? What it should be, in my opinion, or my mind, so simple, but why do we make it so challenging? <laughs> yeah, I I think it's actually good that so many of us feel like we're bad at praying. And, and y'all are probably like, wait a second, where, did, where are you going with this, Addison? I think the holy discontentment is good. As I've had lots of conversation with people about prayer, um, and as I've studied prayer and how the, the, the greats of the faith, if you will, how they engaged with prayer, there was this holy discontentment that they all had in common for the transactional, singular, locational idea of prayer. And so when prayer is just this lifeline that we reach toward in these moments of our lives where we feel disintegrated and frustrated, well, then we're missing out on the robustness of prayer because prayer is not just a lifeline, it's a lifestyle. And this is what Paul is getting at in places like 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and Romans 12, 12, where he says, pray without ceasing. Y'all, how is it realistic to pray without ceasing? Unless we say and believe that the life of the Christ follower is one mighty integrated prayer. And so when we start to view our lives as an expression of prayer, those parts of us and those parts of our experiences that we maybe haven't invited the spirit of God into and invited the the voice of God into where we haven't opened the conversation, they start to take on new forms. I actually heard from a pastor friend of mine who who read words with God. He said, Addison, he said, I've never been more challenged to pray more, but I've also never felt more encouraged that more of my life is a prayer. And I'm actually praying more than I realized I'm praying. And and even the idea of shalom, right, which literally means integration, is this idea of our lives coming together and creating a whole, but the enemy of our soul hates this. So he wants to parse everything. He wants to compartmentalize everything. And by doing so, he creates this idea in us that we're separated from God, that we're not experiencing God, that we're not having words with God, unless we're checking the right boxes, unless we're at the right place, unless we're doing it at the right time, unless we're doing it with the right form. Even the Lord's Prayer, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, which is about as close to a formula as you could find in Scripture as far as what Jesus gives to us. It's not a formula. It's not what to pray. It's how to pray. It's a framework. And the sequence in the Lord's Prayer is everything. When you when you think about prayer, when most people start their prayers, where do they start their prayers? At the end of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver me from this. You know, I need help. Please help oh, me. Out. Which there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, listen, that's great. 
But when we think about the way we were designed to engage with God in prayer, we start with our Father. Like there's safety in that. Like you are my God. You're not just my God. You're our God. Like I, I live in the tension of community. So much of our problems lies in the tension of community. So I'm going to pray with an our orientation because that's significant. It's not my God. It's our God. So our Father who is in the heavens literally is how it reads in Greek. It's not who is in heaven. It's in the heavens. And what that communicates is that he occupies all space. Who is in the heavens, hallowed or holy is your name. So right there, we're acknowledging whatever comes after this, like I am secure in the fact that you are tender father and you're also the holy one. And somehow you're both of those and I can't let either of those go. And then we go on to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We ask for bread, something so simple and basic as bread. We're encouraged to ask for it because we live dependent on him. He cares for us. He cares about something as simple as bread in a Near Eastern context. Bread would have been the utensil. I mean, that was so basic. Like the bread was what you used to eat the food. It wasn't even necessarily considered a part of the, the meal. It was like the utensil for the meal. And we go on and then we talk about forgiving and we talk about trials and temptations. And we talk about deliverance from the evil one. All of that makes sense within a certain progression. And so again, going to the Lord's Prayer, it's a framework, not so much a formula. It's not necessarily what to pray, although I do pray the words. And I think there's significance of praying the words. It's a model for how to pray, how to engage with God. And when you bring that framework into every moment of your life, every hour of your life, then you start to realize, wow, Jesus, when he went, he went, when he went away and prayed all night before he appointed the apostles, he wasn't praying those 50 whatever words again and again and again. That was a framework for him to live in connection and to be aware of what the father was doing and to share that. So. It's so powerful. I think it's really easy to wor- read things like word for word, like, and, and then to, okay, this is how we pray. So it's, it's word for word. And and I don't think that it's bad to say the Lord's prayer. I think it's actually no. very powerful and, and how we learn the framework. Mm-hmm. But I think Addison, what you just did there is offered an invitation to glorify God, to focus on mm-hmm. the vastness of him his holiness, his majesty, the mystery mm-hmm. of God. And then to pray in line with his will, our community, um, to pray for the things both mm-hmm. small and and big, simple and significant, yes. like bread and provision, um, you know, every day. And in this daily connection that's so easily lost in Western culture where wealth, um, we, we can have the... We believe the myth that we have enough without God or that we can learn on our own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then to get to those forgiveness and trials and deliverance. But I think that is a powerful framework that you just unpacked Mm -hmm. that we do find in scripture of the Lord's prayer. Mm -hmm. But, but I think what I'm learning 2023 is the importance of studying God's word, meditating on it, Mm -hmm. unpacking the context beyond just reading it at face value at English, you know, 2023, reading it like I would a blog or a tweet to go, okay, sure. You know, just one step deeper. And wow, this is a, this is a framework for how Jesus invites us into relationship with God Mm -hmm. through prayer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, and Okay, just a couple of nuances I'll share with since you started talking about the text. I'll geek out for a second with you. So so if you look at look at the line, 
right? Lead us not into temptation. Well, people will read that. We're like, wait, we're praying, lead us not into temptation. But then James and Peter say, basically count it joy when you encounter various trials. Jesus says in Mark 4, he says that the suffering, the persecution comes for the sake of the word. And he likens the suffering to the sun that rises so the word can grow and bear fruit. So it's like, okay, which one is it? Uh, We see God communicate through Ananias that he is going to show Paul how much he must suffer for his namesake. Like, like, okay, wait, what, what's really going on here? And to be honest with you, we struggle when it comes to prayer and God and the person of God and the character of God and the faithfulness of God at this intersection of suffering and, you know, mm-hmm. in, in our human experience, like that's yeah. a, a lot of people like jettison the idea of God and prayer because it doesn't, their view of God doesn't make sense when the real fires of life um, become, become a part of their everyday. And so, when we go to that line, lead us not into temptation. Well, the Greek word for temptation, same Greek word as trial. So they're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, temptation and trial. And there's there's a lot to that that I don't have time to unpack right now. But there's a nuance there in the Greek. And what it communicates is it's saying, lead us not as our final destination into the temptation or into the trial. So it's actually a statement of faith that whatever trial, whatever temptation we're navigating does have an end date. Even if that end date is not today, the end date will come. And it's a it's a proclamation that ultimately we will be delivered from the evil one and the brokenness of this world, whether that's internal or external. Like there is freedom. There is hope. That is what our faith is rooted in. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're not praying that we would never be in a difficult situation. What we're declaring by faith is that that will not be the end of our story, which is incredibly powerful when you think about the difference between those two ways of praying. Oh my gosh. I love that you geeked out. I'm joining (laughs) you there as a fellow nerd to just say, I think that it's so powerful to to study to learn to have insight it's like what you did is you just took a flashlight at the lord's prayer and said like look at this this mm-hmm. is some of the context and um i'd be curious to know addison we've had a lot of talks about god about you know i think of one of our first conversations was about doubt and deconstruction and people can go mm-hmm. back and listen to those talks as well and powerful messages we've talked about idolatry or the, you know, some of the struggles that I know I have like living in this present moment and not getting hung up on the past or, or, mm-hmm. you know, too futuristic and worried yep. and anxious about tomorrow. But what would you say your greatest hope for young adults in mm-hmm. our world today is? Yeah, I would say when you look at Gen Z in particular, and you see this in millennials too, there's a, there's a desire for the miraculous. There's a desire for the supernatural. There's this desire for for a spiritual expression of who they are as a person. And and I think within Christendom, we forfeited the robustness of prayer because we've reduced it to something that's very transactional. And so my desire, if I was to put it simply, my desire is that we would once again open the conversation. I believe that as we open the conversation, as we invite the voice of God into our everyday lives, I believe that God's going to reveal that he has words with us and words for us and words that we need to share with our world. There's this 
incredibly powerful passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23. And um, these prophets, they uh, they were going around and they were sharing all these words with people. Um, I mean, I kind of imagine it as like today's social media where everyone has a word about everything. And, and there's, and God makes a statement. He says, I did not send the prophets yet. They ran. And I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they would have stood in my counsel, if they would have been silent and still in my counsel, if they would have had words with me, if they would have been willing to embrace the the scariness of silence, then I would have given them the words that would heal their land. And and when, when we think about this idea of having words with God, this isn't just about like our, our personal journey and wanting to, to do the right things so that we get the right stuff from God or whatever. Like, this is about God wanting to have words with our world, calling us living epistles, calling us ambassadors, calling us his children that are, are reformed and reshaped in his image and who have taken on his nature. Like there's something so much bigger at stake here. And, um, and I just, the conversations that I'm having with, with young adults, they're like, we want the real, like, we want to see God move. Like we don't want just the head knowledge. We don't want to just go through the motions. Like we want to see a God who is powerful enough to face off with the, the real brokenness. I mean, we talk about suicide rates, um, you know, among, among, I think age group 10 to 14, now second leading cause of death, 10 to 14. 10 to 14 year olds. Y'all, I have two kids in that range. And I'm like, that's, that's unbelievable. And the reality is we become disintegrated as people. We become disintegrated when we do not understand what it is to be connected with God. And the, and the book words with God, I actually call the Holy spirit, the integrator in the book, because the Holy spirit is the one who brings the parts together. That's why Jesus looked at them in John 16. He says, it's better for you. I'm telling you the truth. It's better for you that I go away. Cause if I go away, the Holy spirit is going to come and the things that are external, the things that you can't bear right now, they're external. They're going to become a part of you. They're going to be fused. They're going to become a part of who you are because of the spirit of God. And with the spirit of God, with the filling of the spirit of God, what that's going to do in you. It's not just about the words that you're hearing me say. I wish you could just grasp these words. You need to be grasped by them, though. And the spirit of God is going to be the one who makes it possible for you to be grasped by these words. And your lives become a living word of what I'm speaking to you and what I'm sharing with you now. And so that's, man, it's, it's kind of a long answer, Micah, Josiah, I would say that like God will show up people. Yes. Like put God on the spot. Let me, let me just like, if you're a parent out there or who put God on the spot, you don't have to be God for your kids. Just make room for God to be God. Don't try to babysit your God, your kids from God. Don't try to like protect your kids from the pain that comes with journeying into the person of God and really learning what it is to be a child of God. Yes, create a safe environment for that, but mm. trust God to be God. Those of you out there, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, you prayed, God didn't show up. You checked the boxes. It seems like God has checked out. I'm telling you right now, if you show up in prayer and you let it out, what, I heard a counselor one time say that what can be mentioned can be managed. And that is a shadow of the of the gift of prayer when we can articulate it in prayer, even when it's groans 
and prayers that do not have words, but we let it out. We let it go. We let those words just fly. Y'all, God's not afraid of those messy words. God does something incredible Mm -hmm. with those messy words. But as long as you hold those in, you are going to be lost. You're going to be confused. You're not going to understand yourself and you're not going to understand God. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's why I'm like, we have got to open the conversation. I had a friend of mine tell me, he's like, man, I've given up on prayer. And he's like, and this is what he said. He's like, God's the only one who gets away with not showing up for a conversation that he expects you to show up for daily. That's what he told me. Like real talk. That's what he told me. And he said, he said, any other friend of mine, he's like, I'd be done with them. I'd be done with them. And I was praying. I was like, Holy Spirit, you got to give me the words in this moment. Like, please. And what, what the Holy Spirit gave me in that moment, I, I wrote a whole chapter on this called Opening the Conversation. He said, look, you're closing the conversation. You're not opening the conversation. You're closing the conversation. God doesn't want your cheap, tra- and I could speak to him like this because I know him, but like, God doesn't want your cheap religious transactional time. Mm, he, wants, he wants you. And the reality is conscious time, which is us as we go throughout the week and that mindfulness and being sensitive to the spirit feeds quality time, which is when we're alone in the closet, alone, wherever, like Jesus modeled that Jesus lived in perfect union with the father. It says in John five, I only do what I see the father doing. He lived in perfect union, mm-hmm. but he also stole away and was by himself. He would go to the choir of the desert places and he would pray. So we need to realize that God communicates in both conscious time and quality time and they feed each other. But the idea is that the idea is they will strengthen each other. And people ask these questions like, how long should I spend in prayer? And I tell them that you're asking the wrong question. First, open yourself to the reality that God wants to have words with you. Number one, then invite him into your life. And I, and I share some practical exercises and stuff that people can use in the book that will lead you to a place where you are sharing quality time and when you're and where you're more aware of how god is moving in every single moment of your life and that is the integrated life that we all crave oh i absolutely love that i love that you have those two spheres and where they intersect is where we kind of need a camp right we need to kind of look at that and really realize that there's power in prayer and the power of the holy spirit and i think sometimes we're searching for us and the answers we want versus what does God have are two different questions and approaches. And one approach, even in prayer that I've learned years ago was P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, and yield. And that it just helps, has helped me in the past, like discipline myself in a sense of, wow, I need to praise God first. I want to usher in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Like, yes, he is everywhere, but I need to get my heart aligned with him and I'm going to repent of any and all things. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit, God, what do you want to reveal to me? And then I'm going to zip my lips and just be like, I'm going to sit in silence. And I think even that alone is a form of discipline that we can take to be to, before the Lord. Yes, we have the Father, the Lord's prayer and all those other things, but really like uncovering, discovering, like you said, am I looking for a cheap transaction and what I can get from God? Or do I want to do something for him and for his kingdom in his name? not build my kingdom in my name. So I think just even those convicting undertones of our prayer, like, okay, Lord, there's a reason why I think I pray, Lord, reveal my heart to me. God, reveal your heart to me. (laughs) Help me to help burden my heart for what burdens yours. And when you start praying those prayers, you realize how selfish your prayers, I should say, I have realized how selfish (laughs) my prayers are and have been when it's me focused and 
inward focused being, wow, Lord, hallow me out. Take any and all parts of me that are wicked. Like, oh, take me under the microscope and just do your surgery, do your work and help me to come out on the other side, looking and feeling and being truly more like you. And um, maybe that resonates with some of our listeners. Maybe you love prayer and maybe you've been shying away from prayer because you're afraid of what God's going to say, but we're going to lean into this conversation a little deeper with you, Addison. We have five and five on the clock. This is five minutes in five, five minutes, five questions, five answers. Do you think you're up for the task? I do. I, I, I hope so. Cause I don't feel like I have an option. So you don't have an option. You're already warmed up, my friend. You are ready. Here's just a fun one for you. Kick it off. What okay. has God been teaching you lately? Yeah, I've been leaning a lot into the silence. Um, mm. Just the gift of silence. There's an old quote that goes, we do not know each other yet. We have not yet dared to be silent together. And I've been asking myself, God, what do I not know about you? Because I've, I refuse to surrender to silence. There's a Psalm, Psalm 65 says, praise waits for you in silence. So you who hear our prayer. So that's something I've been learning a lot about is the silence. That's good. I like that. I I think it was Tozer who said, and this is what's just echoing through my mind as we talk about words with God is if we knew the power of prayer, we would never cease to pray. Mm. And and I I love that. I think that's the truth of, of, pushing past the the fear of boredom or the appearance of, you know, uncomfort when it, when it does come to silence. So I'm mm-hmm. with you. Um, here's a, a fun one. What's the best advice you think you've ever been given? Oh my goodness, y'all, man. I think last time I want to share with y'all um, was not, was the fact that the apostle Paul, the one who literally had a road to Damascus experience with Jesus, had to be encouraged not to grow weary in doing good. And what that what that tells me about the fact that in this life we will do good and we will be tempted to be weary doing good. Because I think the temptation is to believe that if I'm doing good work, I should never be weary. I should always be energized by the good work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that's helped me navigate um a lot of seasons, but I would say like practically something that for me that I've heard from people who've run this race, well, they've said, Hey, at the end of your life, the people who, who need to respect and love you the most are the people closest to your family. And that's something that I want to build my life on. So, yeah, it's good. That's so good. One thing that my mom told me, she goes, never neglect your family in replace of ministry. Like don't neglect your family to get to where God's called you to be. It's God first family, then you're calling. And I just think that's a good reminder. And it's hard to mix that up if you're a leader or a pastor, because you feel the pressure, you feel the calling, you feel the weight, you feel the burden. Like it's all, they're all relevant things. It's just like, but what are our priorities? You know? So really just honing in on what are we prioritizing? Cause what we prioritize gets done. What we Mm -hmm. prioritize becomes, um, a priority and lets them know they're special and dedication to the Lord in that process. Okay, but here's yeah. the fun one. Here's the curveball. If you're ready for this, uh, if you could ask Josiah and myself any question under the sun, what would you ask us? You've just become the host right now. <laughs> wow. Just for the record, I did not know these questions before the episode began. I think y'all sent them to me, but I missed them. So I should have a better answer, but I don't. Um, Doesn't have to no, be serious. I, like, I would, yeah, I, I think. It could be funny. 
I like to know what is the thing in y'all's marriage that y'all keep going back to, not in a way where it's like angry fighting, but more like annoying fighting. You want to go first? Like, like annoyed by this and we keep going back to it. And it's like, I'm <laughs> kind of serious, but I'm kind of, it's kind of funny and I'm kind of annoyed by it. And you keep going back to it. It's just been a part of your dynamic. Oh man. You go first. I think of just, um, you know, opposites attract. If we were both the same, want somebody be unnecessary. And one way that that oh, shows itself in our marriage, I believe, is that I'm wired with energy late at night. I, you know, I can have deep thoughts, great ideas, just even work time late into the night. And Micah is like, and our girls, they're up early up and at them like 5 a.m sometimes it's four or five maybe 6 a.m and that's a little bit early for me and, yeah. and i wouldn't say that we like fight about it but i think that it is definitely something that we probably both had to adjust our expectations of like okay if i'm expecting micah to have a great conversation just knowing the reality that her energy tank isn't going to be like 9.30 at night, 10.30 at night. Or midnight, because like, I'm like, I have five hours, I'm going to be up. Yep. And, and vice versa. <laughs> she's like, she's yeah. like, hey, I want to talk about um, this new project around the house. If she comes in at 6.15, that's well, what she wants to talk about. Just, like, please. Just sheer on a emotional or mental or physical ability like we're we're wired a little differently oh my gosh well that's a good segue because i would say one of the things having two littles i like to create i feel like outside of ministry we don't always get to see the progress if we're speaking to somebody's life they're not maybe on track of what we think is like oh you had that breakthrough moment i was like up front and center and i gotta see the end result we're not gonna see the end result and know till we get to heaven many of the things that we do in ministry and that's both good and i think protects us from ourselves on this side of eternity. But I think, why do I like to create? Why do I like to redo furniture, start projects is because there's a start and there's a finish. And I just get a marvel at the finish of like, I got to do that. Like I sanded that down. I got to stain this. I got to paint this. I went and picked up the paint pellets to match this. Like we, I got to make our house a home. And I think for me, like I can't always shut the creative element off. And it's not that I'm not satisfied with our house. It's like, well, how can I make it better? And it's not that there's anything wrong. We don't have any gaping <laughs> holes or major problems. It's like, it is a wonderful home and they took good care of it before we bought it. But I'm like, how can we make this better? Paint, varnish, this tile, whatever. And I think for Josiah, there's many things because of two littles and because of ministry, I'll start something and it feels like I am a finisher. But if I don't have the time allotted to finish, it just sets unfinished. So even like, for instance, I painted out all of our cabinets white and they look awesome. Like I'm very happy with them. But what I did not do because I was like seven months pregnant, I did not paint the bottom of the cabinets like outside. So I'm literally looking at them right here. I'm like, I cannot stand that oak. I'm so sick of look, feeling like a Keebler elf in a house. <laughs> is it a priority? Yes. But is it a priority today right now? No. But does it drive me crazy? Yes. So I think how I drive myself crazy in ways that are very unnecessary, it might just drive Josiah crazy and he might not ever say anything. <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. But we come yeah, back to it. And no. I'm like, yeah, that thing we picked up three years ago when I had two C-sections and a baby, that big project that's in the garage. Yep. It's literally still in the garage and I need to finish sanding it. 
but I don't have the paint for it. That's not like me, but because the kids in ministry, it just changes. So yeah. Yeah. And I keep saying, yeah, it's the- annoying me too. It's annoying me too. But do I want to be blasting the sander at 10 o'clock at night? If the girls go to bed? No, because we finally got them in bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. the silly no, I can't, I can't relate. I can't relate to that at all. Sorry. No, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, with um, the heart who can. No, man, <laughs> asking like, what, what are you dreaming about or working on behind the scenes? Like what keeps you up late at night? What, what's waking you up out of bed? Like what's something mm-hmm. that you just sense a heaven minded urgency about that you'd be willing to yeah. share? Yeah. So, you know, messenger, our, our focus is, is discipleship. Like that's, that's what it's all about. Our, our, Goal is to make discipleship resources available to every person, regardless of where they live, what language they speak, or how much money they have. And wow. we've given away over 60 million translated discipleship resources to people all over the world. Um, and so I, I'm very passionate about discipleship, but specifically for me lately, it's it's been it's been prayer. Like, how do we pursue prayer as a way of life and mm-hmm. not just something that we do? Mm-hmm. And words with God was um what well, is an expression of that desire that cry but even beyond that i'm i know i'm supposed to build a community of people who are dedicated to pursuing prayer as a way of life and it will have events digital in person um artistic expression music painting etc um that gives expression to the breadth of what it is to have words with God, right? Like, so that's something I'm very passionate about. And I, I threw something in the back of this book, words with God. I just said, uh, my editor told me I needed to just an author's note saying, Hey, this is just opening the conversation. If you want to go deeper, like reach out to me and I actually gave my email address. And I've had, I now have almost 10,000 people who have said like, I want to, I want to pursue this thing. Like, prayer as a way of life. I want to be a part of this community. I want to, um, you know, to see where this leads and what, what forms it takes. And so I'm setting a weekly email right now out on Sunday evenings to this group. And it's just a, a, a practice. It's a resource. It's something that they bring into their week um, related to prayer as a way of life. And I, I know it's going to grow. I, I know it's going to form the values. This specific mission are beauty, sincerity, presence, and integration. And um, what I've noticed, and I'll share this with you because I think this is so profound as y'all are leading and, and guiding, especially young people. Without fail, y'all, people who struggle to experience God's presence are the people who are not present to what God is doing in that day. You will always find that correlation between the presence of God and being present to what is happening in that day and present to what God is doing in that moment and without, without fail. And even, even the idea of presence communicates this idea of being present. And so I have a passion for us to be present to the presence of God, but also to the presence of each other and what, what will come out of us being present to each other as far as mission and purpose and community and connection, all of that. When we're present to each other, to a degree that we haven't been present before, what will God do with that? And how will that reflect his presence? So that's something I'm working on behind the scenes. Some of it is leaking out in different ways, but it's something that I know I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. That's amazing. 
come to the last question. Was that mine or yours? It's your it. turn. It's, it's, it's your... my turn. Oh, that's even better. Okay. Addison, if you could leave the listener or young adult ministry leader with one thing today, what do you want to encourage with them, encourage and leave them with? Yeah, I would go back to what I, what I shared earlier about like, look, open the conversation. Prayer is not a formula to solve. It's an experience to share. It's going to be messy. It's going to be silent at times. Normally it's going to be silence and there's a language that forms in silence. And I want, like, I really want y'all to hear that. And if it feels like God isn't delivering you from boredom or confusion or whatever it is, like God's end goal is not for you to be able to do whatever that thing or realize your purpose or whatever. Like his end goal is bringing you to himself. Like that's the end goal. There's nothing on the other side of that. And prayer is the gateway for that. So don't view prayer as the thing that you use to get what you need from God so you can get on with your life. Please view prayer as the adventure, going back to where we started this episode, the adventure into the infinite person of God, who is mystery personified and certainty personified. Like that is the fear mm-hmm. of God. Please, please view prayer as that and contend for prayer to become that. And from that place, you will know how to ask. You know how to contend, know how to intercede. You'll know how to be quiet and be still. Like there's mm-hmm. all of these different expressions of prayer that almost seem contradictory. Like we were told to be still, but we're told to fight. Like which one is it? And all of that brings us into the richness of what it is to be the people of God and to do life with him. My gosh, what a powerful close and charge. And most importantly, an invitation mm-hmm. deeper higher, longer, wider. And uh, I love that you didn't call it words to God Mm. or words from God, but just with, with God. It's this invitation. Um, You're speaking to me and and the listener and Micah and all of us to just say, you know what? Mystery and certainty Mm. completed in him. And so we hope you'll pick up words with God. Addison, thanks so much for your time, man. Thanks, y'all. So appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adult Today Podcast. If you enjoyed it, I'm all wide up right now. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.